listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. The title today is Proof That You Do Not Love God, Three Tests You Must Pass. Proof That You Do Not Love God. I want you, as we're uh, jumping into this, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. We're going to read a bit of, of, of this passage here, but it started stirring up in my spirit uh, this idea of what, what does it mean to actually love God? What does it mean? You know, you hear, if you grow up in church, you hear this phrase that people use. Um, well, you know, he's a good guy. He loves the Lord. You know, but it's always followed by like the worst phrase ever. Like, he's a good guy, he loves the Lord, but he literally smokes three packs a day. Or he's a good guy, he loves the Lord, but yes, he does beat his wife. Like that's, you know, I, you start thinking, okay, what does it mean to even love God then? If, if everything means loving God, then, then it means nothing. And so, and I, I believe that in the Western society, especially in our Western culture, the term love has become such a nothing statement that it does mean nothing. Love you, bro. I love this. I love that. I love that for you. Love is such a diluted word nowadays. Um, but when we're talking about loving God and having a, a fiery passion, a fiery love for God, I want you to understand what the Bible says because it's not what you think. I want you at the outset of this to write in the comments and write in your notes. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. And if you want to write something under that, write this. Love is not love until it's given. Love is not love until it's given. That means that I can say all I want. I love you. I love you. I love you. It means absolutely nothing until I take action on that love. Love is a verb in the, in the words of the prophet John Mayer. Love is a verb. Um, and so, you know, we, we use this term love, love, love. It's kind of like this. It's like the, the whole uh, debate around the uh, same-sex marriage, you know, debate in America, right? The whole stance that Christians have when people say, oh, you just love or you just hate gay people. That's why you don't want... Uh, homosexuals to be married. You just hate gay people. How dare you? How dare you stop love from working? Why can't you just let me live my life and love who I want to love? And, and, you know, Christians can be taken aback by that until you understand that the, the debate has nothing to do with whether, you know, they can, uh, you know, have feelings for whoever they want. The problem becomes... When people say, well, why can't then we be married? Well, the problem is marriage is a very specific thing. Marriage is a biblical term, not a government term. And so if you want to say that I'm a part of a, a, a covenant like marriage, then you have to take what the definition of the Bible is. 
So you say, well, I want to be part of a marriage, but I want this marriage to be between a man and a man. It's like saying, you know, I want to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Fine, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But I want this peanut butter and jelly sandwich to have no peanut butter, no jelly, and I want it to have ham, turkey, and Swiss cheese. It's like, uh, okay, I mean, like, you can have that. I won't stop you. I don't hate you because you, you know, but don't call it a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So there's many things that Christians parade around as love for God when really it's nothing more than just emotionalism. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, we'll start reading there. Revelation 1, 9, and this is John's vision of Jesus on the Isle of Patmos. And we're going to read through verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. So, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on an island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a book, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed, with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he said this to me, he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I live forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write these things that you've seen to those that, are, that, that must take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the stars of the angels and the, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now understand, Jesus comes back in a vision to John. The church had been going on for, for years and years and years. This is many years after the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the church is going about their business. They're, they're having apostles teach them. They're having the Bible actually uh, written to them, and they're keeping it, and they're circulating it throughout their churches. But Jesus still finds it necessary to come back to John and give a message to seven churches, six of, uh, of which are not stunning reviews. It was important to Jesus, and so he said this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amongst the seven lampstands, I know your works and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those th th with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you endure patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. This is, where, this is where it gets good. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, 
from where you have fallen. Jesus is saying, in another translation, you don't love me like you used to. You don't love me like you used to. And there's many Christians who start out on fire for God. And I mean fire, like they, they actually love God. But just like the Bible says, the four types of soil, some scattered on rocky soil, they spring up really quickly because of their, de- their lack of depth of soil. They spring up really quickly, but they're choked out and they're scorched. The Bible says they're scorched because of the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and of persecution. So they love God. They, they get in their word every day. They turn on every, every broadcast that happens. It's, it's actually true of, uh, you know, what people do on a 21-day fast. I'm ready to go. Day one, day two, day three, day four. Then day, you know, gets to day uh, 13. People are like, you know what? Ten days is enough. God understands. So he says, you, you don't love me like you used to. But listen to his prescription. If that is you and you feel like I... I was born again. I was radically saved. I knew I had a love for God, a passion for God, and I knew it was real. But something happened. Either I fell away. I don't love God like I used to. This is Jesus' prescription. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come from to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Listen to how Jesus defines what love is. He doesn't define it as a warm, fuzzy feeling. He doesn't define it as uh, something that I cherish in my heart. He defines it as an action. Because I don't love God, I don't do the same things I used to. And he says, if you want to love God, if you want to love me again, return to your former works. Do what you used to do. It reminds me of a preacher. Uh, pastor Ted has told this story. Uh, a congregant comes to his uh, pastor and he says, Pastor, you know, I've been married for so many years. And, you know, I've been, I've been trying, you know, I just want to make it work. But I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor. I just don't love my wife anymore. And the pastor, you know, in his counseling session, he, he says, All right, well, I want you to do this. This is going to help you. You say you don't love your wife anymore. I want you to go home and I want you to love her. I want you to go home and I want you to love her. But pastor, I said, I, I, I don't love her. Go home and love her. At, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a verb. Love is a choice. So if you say, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I love God anymore. I, I don't feel that, that spark or I don't feel that excitement that I used to, the butterflies, so to speak, that you used to when you were saved. Doesn't matter. You know, it's funny. I was listening to Ben Shapiro, who is a Jew, uh, an Orthodox Jew. Ben Shapiro is not a Christian, but he was explaining. Someone called into his show and asked him the question, how do I, I, I don't, I want to believe in God. And, you know, I don't, I just have doubts in my head. And, and I want to have faith, but it's hard for me. He says, I don't feel like God's real. And Ben Shapiro clarified something. He said, well, if I were a Christian, I might answer you differently. But he said, 
He said, well, in the Jewish community, we don't put uh, feeling at any premium. He said, feeling is something that comes after you do the thing. Feeling, it, 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 what he basically said was action precedes feeling. Well, I don't feel like reading my Bible is doing anything for me. Do it until you feel it. I don't feel like praying today. Do it until you feel it. Just a show of hands in the comments. How many have come to a point, maybe it's been during this 21-day fast, and that's okay because your flesh is still trying to fight against you. How many have woken up in the morning or it came time for your Bible reading plan or it came time for your prayer time and you, let me just tell you, nothing within you feels spiritual. You have been scrolling reels of smash burgers and Monte Cristo sandwiches and uh, the best uh, breaded chicken sandwiches you've ever seen in your life. You, you don't feel like, you know, like Elijah. You don't feel like Elisha. You don't feel like Peter. But it comes time to pray. And wouldn't you know, I, I figured this out. If you just do the thing, if you just start without any, or any uh, care of how you feel about it, I'm going to pray and the first five minutes of my prayer is going to be me feeling absolutely nothing. If you just make up in your mind, you start doing that thing, you might start off feeling like, I don't care, or I, you know, I don't feel it. Let me just tell you, you'll start to feel it. You'll start to feel it. And by, by minute six, you're like, man, I feel so spiritual. Why? Because something kicked in. You, you, I'm not operating based on my every whim, everything I feel. If that were true, we'd all be in prison. We would. So, love is not a feeling. Love is not a warm, fuzzy thing. Love is a verb. And, and I think if we're going to get these three points, because these three points, they're simple, but they're not like, they're not things that, that you're like, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. It's, it's a real test. You, you, you have to take account. You have to take, uh, you know, Take a, a, a polling of your life and see, is, are these things still on point in my life? Or have I fallen away? Have I left my first love? And at the end of this, we're just gonna, we're gonna pray, you know, as we do, and, and, uh, and we're gonna get back on track. A 21-day fast is a perfect time to get back on track with your passionate love for God. You know, the... I hear it mostly in my generation. I think it's become a huge problem because there's this uh, there's this movement, and it's really a, it's it's really the flaky, uh, weird, charismatic movement that feels it's necessary to take off your shoes every time you worship. Uh, and let me just tell you, I'm not down with that. Uh, I, I've been around Christians who are like that. They're, they're odd and they're strange. Um, but there's this phrase that I keep hearing. Uh, I, I keep hearing this over and over again. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible. If you've heard that, please let me know. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible. Amen. Like that's such a, and then people are like, mm, that's good. Mm. It's such a, I don't know why people think that's so deep. The first point 
that you have to have. If you don't have this, you don't actually love God. Number one, an honor and love for the word. An honor and love for the word. I was talking to someone, uh, you know, that's close to my age on Instagram. And we were talking about these people that we keep hearing say stuff like, you know, y'all read the Bible so much. Y'all read the Bible so much, but you don't even know Jesus. Y'all read the Bible so much, but you don't even know Jesus. There's, there's, there's people who accuse Pastor Ted uh, pretty recently of being into bibliolatry. And what that means is you, you worship the Bible. Like, like that's some bad thing. Like, you, you know, you worship the Bible. Bibliolatry. You don't love God. You love his word, which is an asinine thing to say. An asinine thing to say. If you don't love the word of God, chances are you don't love God. You don't love God. Let me just say this. There is no relationship with Jesus outside of the word of God. All of you guys are into the Bible and you memorize every scripture and you read it every day, but you don't even have a personal relationship with Jesus. Not true. What does that even mean? What, like someone answer that. What does that mean? What does it mean to love the Bible but not love Jesus? You wouldn't even know who Jesus was without the Bible. You wouldn't know how to pray without the Bible. You wouldn't know what God likes and what he does not, does not like without the Bible. So don't separate God's word from him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word was God. If you don't have a passionate and an honor and a love for the word, you don't love God. It's that simple. I was in a college class back when I was, you know, 16. I say that like that was many years ago. Was not. Uh, <laughs> Wow, that was, dang, that was three years ago. Um, th three whole years ago, a lifetime. Um, I was sitting in a college class. It was a Bible college class. And there was this professor whom, who, he did not like me. I mean, like, we'll just be real about that. He didn't care for me. Uh, he, you know, I was, in, I was in night school. And so it's me, the professor, who had a long day and did not want to be there. And then it's like, uh, you know, the average age other than me would be like 55 because all of these, you know, people have full-time jobs and they want to go to Bible school, but they, you know, they have to go at night. And so I was in this one class, and to be honest with you, I didn't care for this professor either, but that's besides the point. Jesus loves him. He, he started going on this um, teaching, and he taught, what was it, the, the class that he taught, it was kind of irrelevant to the teaching, but... Um, he taught Christian worldview, right? Christian worldview. He went on this tangent about how he went through many times in his life where he just did, people did him wrong. And he just did not feel like forgiving people. People did him wrong and he, he would wake up every morning with unforgiveness in his heart and he would wake up every morning bitter. He was telling us all this. And it's like, okay, I thought this was going to like turn into a testimony of like how he overcame unforgiveness and everything. He was like, I'm telling you, I hated these people. I, 
for what they did to me. How many have ever been there? The whole class is like, yes. I, yeah. um, and so he, he, he got to that point, but then he ended it with, but don't you know that if you don't, if you're not ready to forgive, God understands that. If you're not ready to forgive, God knows your heart. And as immediately, at 16 years old, there were f- flashing red lights going off in my spirit. No, 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 no. And I had no self-control. It was a Zoom, it was a Zoom uh, call, so I, I raised my virtual hand. And he's, you know, he's into this story. He's like, it's okay. If you're not ready to forgive, take time. God understands. You'll be at that point at some point. And I raised my hand. He called on me. And he said, Alex. And he said, do you have a question? I said, yeah. How do you justify that while also believing that Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive, so that your heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. And, you know, he was not happy that I said that. He, he got pretty, pretty mad. And so it, it turned into a heated call with all the class just kind of watching because he started going, well, you know, he thought that, that was like an arrogant thing for me to say. But honestly, it was a real question. It's not like a gotcha moment, but it's a real question. If the Bible says something, why are we, why are we out here trying to make the Bible deeper than it is? Why are we out here trying to say something that's never been said before? If the Bible doesn't say it or if the Bible contradicts it, what business do we have saying it? So he said, how do you reconcile that with the fact that Jesus said, if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. And he said, you know, he said, you know what, Alex, you're just looking at it like there's just the Bible. He said, and I've, and I've been tired of, of people saying this for a long time. You know, I don't know if you know this, Alex, but I'm a, I'm a charismatic, I'm a Pentecostal, as if I'm not a Pentecostal. You know, like I'm some reformed guy just going to this a charismatic school for no reason at 16 years old. Like, that's what I want to do. I'm like harshly reformed, but I feel like at nighttime, after high school, I should go to a charismatic Bible school. But he was like, I don't know if you know this, but I am, I, I am Pentecostal, I'm charismatic. And all these people that just think that there's the word... Just think, they just, they put, he, this is an actual quote. He said, they put the Bible on such a high pedestal. Then he said, but you have to understand that there's the Word and the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit. And sometimes, if you just take the Word as a wooden thing and just do everything the Word says, you neglect the Spirit that breathes life on the Word. Eh. Eh, eh, like red lights, like I, I had this older black lady who was very sassy. She, she DM'd me and she was, she was a spirit filled lady. Man, I loved her. Miss Francis. She, she, uh, direct messaged me on zoom and cause she saw my face like, just, just like, cause this guy was saying stuff that like, I thought I was like, this is something that you could be fired for. But <laughs> she, she, uh, DM me and she said, just so you know, Alex, I'm with you. She said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So, like, I'm, he's, like, going on his rampage, and I'm seeing, like, people, like, come to my defense in the comments. So it's funny. But he's like, you put the word on such a high pedestal. He said, you have to remember that there's the spirit and the word. And, you know, I, I kind of left it at that point. If, if you can't understand 
the inerrancy and the sufficiency of Scripture. What does that mean? That the Bible is inspired by God, yes. It's breathed out by God, yes. It's not the words of men or women. Peter said that no prophet wrote of their own accord, but they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. It's expired from the mouth of God. But not only is it expired from the mouth of God, not only is it inspired, and not only is it infallible, but it's sufficient. What does that mean? I don't need new revelation. And anything that the Spirit says to me that's not, that contradicts the Bible is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the Word agree. So to then paint you someone who believes that as some reformed cessationist is ridiculous. I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. It is enough. I don't need new revelation. I don't need things to be made deeper than they actually are. If someone says to you, you know, how many are ready for me to mess up your theology real quick? Well, that's probably a sign that that's not, you know, what they're about to say afterwards is probably not found in Scripture. I, I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And, and this uh, dishonor, and, and there's no love for the Word. There's no love. For, if, you, if you can honestly teach and preach something that the Word goes against, you don't love the Word. You don't, you don't put any honor or, or respect or value on the Word. But we have to understand that there is no relationship with God without the Word. There's no relationship with God. I don't worship God. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible. How? How? And I get it. There's been, there's been a move in the charismatic movement to move towards this, you know, this teaching that, you know, of intimacy with God. And I am 100% for that. Intimacy with God in prayer, being close to God, hearing the voice of God, 100%. But if you take that to the nth degree and then say that the Bible's no longer important and you don't put that value on the Bible anymore and you're just looking for intimacy with God or you're looking for warm feelings and cuddles and, and sensations, you've left the faith. This is the faith that was passed down from the apostles. This is it. This is the rock. This is the foundation. You, can't have a, you cannot have a relationship with Jesus without Scripture. Impossible. Impossible. So that there's this love. When you, and I, and I know you know this is true, when you get saved, there's this love for the Bible that just ignites in your spirit. You could have not given a crap about what uh, Jeremiah or Ezekiel said before you got saved. But when you get saved, it's like you, you open the Bible, and the Bible says, that Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, after he's resurrected, and the disciples are walking, and they're talking about the Bible, and they don't understand it. Jesus, actually, the Bible says he opens their eyes to the scriptures. So until you're saved, of course you don't love the Bible. Of course it doesn't matter to you. Of course, it's foolishness to you. The eyes of your, your spirit are closed. It means nothing to you. But once you're saved... And you love God with a, a passion. You cannot love God without loving his word. Loving his word. I want you, I saw this video a couple, 
I'm going to play a video for you in a second. I saw this video uh, pretty recently, and it just shows you what, I mean, it could make you cry. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful video. It's less than a minute. This is a video of Christians in China in the underground church where it's illegal to be a Christian. It's a death sentence in many places to be a Christian. They've banned the Bible. They've banned all internet access to the Bible. And if you're caught with a Bible, there's legal trouble. And they can do it because it's authoritarian rule. So you say, how do they have church? Well, they meet in underground locations, meaning not actually underground sometimes, but in, in unmarked locations. They don't, you know, they don't advertise where they're going to be. They, they meet secretly. And what they do for the most time, unless they have a Bible, which is very rare, unless they have a Bible, they will, mem- like uh, missionaries will come from uh, America and they'll have this, the Bible memorized to the best of their ability and they'll write it down and then they'll pass it out. And each person will, will receive a page from a Bible and they'll read it and they'll cherish it and they'll just keep reading that page. But you have to give it to the next person because we only have one page. We only have Ephesians chapter 2. We only have, you know, uh, 1 John chapter 3. You know, we only have uh, Mark chapter 9. Re- they read it. They cherish it. And then they give it to the next person. It's such, when you, when you don't, I mean, you have to, I'm just going to play the video and then we'll, we'll talk about it. We can, we can roll it. That's Christians in China receiving the Bible for the first time. And look at their reaction. Hugging it. Holding it close. Saying, this is what we needed. Why? They have a love and an honor for the word. An honor for God. And until, I mean, we are so blessed in this country, in the Western world, to have what we have. I mean, think about this. Until the printing press, probably the greatest uh, piece of technology or the most impactful piece of technology that ever was invented on the earth was the mass production of print by the printing press. When the Gutenberg Bible started out, before that, the Word of God was, there was one in the city, and it was chained behind a pulpit, and only the priest could read from it. Not only that, you, it wasn't even, if, even if you got to the Bible, which they would kill you if you tried to get to the Bible because you're a lay person, you can't handle the Word of God. Even if you got to it, it was in a language that you don't even understand when the literacy rate is less than 10% in the world. So even if you got to it, you couldn't read it. 
When that thing, when the, the Gutenberg printing press was, was created, the Bible went around the world in people's na- known language. And the Word of God, and, and isn't it interesting, just as the printing press uh, became available and the Bible was spread around the world, then Protestantism broke, broke out. Then doctrine was corrected. Then people read the Word and say, hold on, I actually don't need a mediator past Jesus. I don't need to uh, confess my sins to the priest and the priest take it to God. I don't need to pay indulgences uh, to cover my sins or pay my way into heaven or, you know, pay the priest so that my loved ones can leave purgatory and go to heaven. All of this exploded when they had the word. Think about, every time you read your Bible, think about the fact that there are people who would die, and I'm, I'm telling you, they would die to have what we have. The Bible, not only in our language, but in multiple, hundreds of good English translations that we can immediately understand. And we have it at our fingertips. We have it on our phone. We have it right here. There's 99-cent Bibles at the bookstore, Barnes & Noble. There has to be a reverence, an honor for God. But if if you love God, you will love his word. That's the only thing. Why? Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. The second thing. Number one was, this is three, proof you don't love God, three tests you must pass. Number one, do you love the word? If you don't love the word, you don't love God. Number two, the next thing you must have if you you claim you love God, an unwavering obedience and reverence for God's commands. An unwavering obedience and reverence for God's commands. For uh, John chapter 14, 21, the Bible says, whoever keeps, this is Jesus talking, whoever keeps my commandments, we'll, we'll go there. Whoever keeps my commandments, it is they that love me. And because they love me, I will love them. And my father will love them and I'll manifest myself to them. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them and keeps them, it is they that love me. What does that mean? If you don't keep the commandments of Jesus, don't claim you love Jesus. That simple. It's very simple. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. That's as as clean cut, as simple as it gets. Obedience is a proof 
that you love God. Obedience is a proof that you love God. We'll go to uh, 1 John 2.4. John, in his epistle, re-emphasizes this. 1 John 2.4. Says, he says it harsher here. Because he's dealing with people in the church who have ulterior, uh, alternate doctrine. 1 John 2.4. Whoever says, I know him. Now, this is exactly what we're talking about today. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we, by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you don't keep the commandments of Jesus, there's no proof that you love him. This is going back to what we said before. Love isn't something that we can just say and not prove. Well, he loves the Lord, but blah, blah, blah. Well, he loves God, but da da da. And I understand people, there are people who are struggling with a, a certain sin that are. They're pressing forward. They're not, uh, you know, overcome by it. They repent. And then I understand that there's working out your salvation. And I'm not saying, like, those people are going to hell immediately. There's, there's people. But understand, it's the fruit of repentance. If you get to a point in your life where you can read Scripture and you know that you're defying Scripture and it does not bother you, that there's no check in your spirit, that you can sin and not even feel it. Let me just tell you, you are at a dangerous place, a dangerous place. And I know that that's not the victory tribe, but understand that with loving God, we love his commandments. We don't, when, when God speaks to me to do something, it's not, it's not something where, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to. It's, it's a real love. I get excited. Even if it's a corrective thing. Correction that God brings you. Conviction. We should love conviction. Conviction is our best friend. Why? We don't want to go to hell. I love when God speaks to me about things. And even on this fast, you'll, you'll be at a heightened sense in your spirit. That even if you heard something, just like, you know, I heard the... the that, that teaching, and I immediately, I was like, nope, that's not it. You'll be at a, a heightened uh, sense in your spirit where you'll, you'll feel something or you'll feel a temptation, and immediately, no, no. You feel, a, you feel a resistance. Why? That's your spirit taking control. That's your spirit taking control. But not only did I say that there's an obedience to the Word of God, there's a reverence to the commands of God. One of the things uh, that I see a lot of times, going back to that um, super charismatic, flaky church, and listen, I know people say it, and I know that there's great men of God who say it and say stuff like this, and this is not indicative that they don't love God, 
But there's an attitude very recently that's come into the church that's very much a, a Gen Z thing. Very much a Gen Z thing. Lots of Gen Z Christians look at God this way. And what it is, it's, it's good intentions, but it's a lack of reverence. They'll stay... Listen, I'm not joking. If you've not heard this before, I'm telling you people say it. How many have heard or heard people refer to God as Daddy God? Put, it, put, a, put an emoji hand. Have you heard people refer to God as Daddy God? Or as, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know what? The Bible says that Jesus called God Abba. If you look in the original, Abba means Daddy. So I say, you know, God is my daddy, daddy God. And, and, and see, their intentions are good. Their intentions are good. They, they want intimacy with God. They want, a, they want a close relationship. Yes, Jesus is your best friend. Yes. And then they, they apply this and they think it's just, they think it's just uh, endearing. But number one, it's not true. The word Abba, let's get this straight, does not mean daddy. It never meant daddy. And not even in the original did people use it like that. It is not like... You know, most people that use the word Abba in the original language, it didn't mean daddy. Adults would use it with their adult fathers. Father. It meant dad. It didn't mean daddy. So, don't, I mean, like, you don't have to make it cringier. Like, you don't have to, like, inject cringe, you know, as my generation would say. Um, daddy God, we're just here to sit, crawl up into your lap. We're just here to put our head on your, on your chest, listen to your heartbeat, hide us, hide us under your wing. We want to hear your heartbeat, God. We, we want to snuggle in your lap. I'm telling you 100% things of, of services I've been in and heard these things. I've heard these things. Daddy God, we love you. And what it is, I'm telling you, when people treat God like that, it almost like puts a, a disseriousness, like an unseriousness on, on what our relationship with you. Yes, God is our heavenly father. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he's, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Yes, the Holy Spirit abides with me always. Yes, he'll never leave me and forsake me. Yes, but he's also the king of heaven. He's also the commander of heaven's armies. He's also the king of kings. He's also the Lord of lords. So to relegate him to daddy God, I mean, listen, I'm not with it. I will just say that. There's a reverence that comes with the love of God. The love of God. And what a lot of people would mark as intimacy with God is just emotionalism. Just emotionalism. I'm just crying all the time because he's so good. Yes, I've cried because of the goodness of God. But if that's all you do ever, ever, it's like, he's just so good. I can't stop crying 24-7. Yeah, no, that's not God. You've probably got a mental problem. Seriously. God doesn't make you dysfunctional in society. There's a love, like... <laughs> I can love my earthly father and not be that weird. Like, ima imagine. I just want you to imagine real quick. Your earthly father and you saying those things to him. I just want to snuggle up 
hear your voice. It's weird. Let's not pretend it's not weird. It's weird. I feel like I should make a cardboard sign, stand outside of a street corner, and say, stop calling dad, daddy God. Heavenly sky, daddy God. Literally things that Gen Z says. Literally. Not making this up. Promise you. Promise you. There is a, yeah, it's weird. Let's just be real. Can we all be real today? It's weird. I'm going to make a t-shirt. It says, stop saying daddy God. Keep your shoes on during worship. Keep them on. Nobody wants to see the, the dogs bark. Nobody cares. <laughs> yes, he's a good heavenly father, but there's also a reverence. There's a reverence. The fear of God. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. And yes, he's my best friend. So, an unwavering obedience to God and his commands. And the last thing, the last test, and I want you to put this in the comments. If you don't have this, you don't love God. Number three, if you don't have an easy time giving financially, you do not love God. Don't tell me you love God and you have a hard time giving in the offering. Why? Jesus said, out of the or he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Billy Graham said, show me a man's checkbook and I'll show you what he loves most. Show me a man's checkbook and I'll show you what he loves most. Why? Because what Jesus said is true. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not, not, not like... Uh, you'll, you, what he's saying is if, if, if you look at where all of your money goes, that's what you love. No doubt about it. That's what you love. If you can, without a doubt, spend $300 on a, on a football game, on a ticket, and in the, in the nosebleeds, a terrible section, you know, in, in, in the uh, stadium, Drop $300, no brainer. Sit out in the cold for five hours to watch a game and watch your team get beat mercilessly. But you have a hard time giving God a $20 offering. You do not love God. And I know, I know it sounds harsh, you're all about money. No, it's not even about the money. It's that Jesus said that the, that the proof of your love for anything is what you'll spend your money towards it. That sounds like an American gospel. No. Nope. It's a Jewish man's gospel. Jesus' word. You know why? It's because money is not this greedy thing. It's, it's, a, it's an inanimate object. But that inanimate object represents you, your time, your talent, your time spent away from family, and your efforts. Within that paycheck that you have is all of your efforts. And when you say the thing that this world values the most, I'm going to give it to God. What are you saying? I love God more than I love the thing. Not a problem. Not a problem. Th think about the, two, the, the, the stark contrast between these two men, right? 
And we're going to wrap up in a minute, but, but this is important. One man, the rich young ruler, comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you've got to honor your father and mother. Yes. Yes, I've done that. Yes. He's checking off the boxes of all the commandments of God. Yes, I've done this. And then Jesus said, and then you've got to give all your money to the poor. No response from the man. The Bible says, and the man went away in great sorrow because he had great possessions. Now, Jesus said that thing to test him. You say you want to follow me. You say you want to be my follower. You say that you, uh, you know, love God. You, you say, you know, I've done all these things. I've checked off all the boxes. Yeah. All right. Give everything you have to the poor. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Why? Those things meant more to him than God. They did. And it's the simple fact. And that's, he knew it and he knew it. And that's why he walked away. He didn't have Jesus. He didn't be like, all right, let's negotiate. No, immediately hung his head, walked away. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus felt sorry for him. He had compassion for the man. The riches, the, the, the wealth, it, it constrained his life. He literally could not give it up because he loved it too much. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what the Bible says. So look at that reaction to Jesus. Same thing. Jesus says to Nicodemus, or uh, not Nicodemus. He says, come follow me. He says, come follow me to Zacchaeus. You thought I forgot. I did not forget. Um, He says, come follow me. Zacchaeus was not asked to give any money to the poor. Now, he was a man who cheated people, stole from people. His own people hated him because he was was uh, an arm of the authoritarian rule of the Roman government. All of his people hated him. He knew he did what, what he did was wrong. And so when he climbed up in the tree to watch Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going to come, I'm going to come eat at your house. That's all he said. I'm going to come eat at your house. What was his natural reaction? He gave half of all he had away. He made everything right. What a stark contrast. When you have an encounter with God, when you have a love for God, Jesus is coming to eat at my house. I don't deserve this. I don't, there's nothing I did. I did everything in my power to go against what God loves. And he loved me anyways. I'm going to give half of everything I have away. Why? Because true love produces giving. True love produces giving. It's the fact of the matter. True love produces giving and extravagant giving and crazy giving. When I was in high school, now this is a cringy story. When I was in high school, I've told this like a handful of times. Um, and many of you can identify with this. Many of you guys can identify with this. Uh, I, there was this girl that I really liked when I was uh, you know, a freshman. I was like 15, 16 years old. There was this girl that I really liked. And you know, she, she saw me as a friend. Womp, womp, womp. But um, I, 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 you know, I liked her so much. I, you know, I thought I was in love. You know, the music was playing. Anyways. Because I loved her so much, or I thought I loved her so much, or I, you know, I had such strong feelings, Christmas time came around. And when Christmas time came around, I thought, holy crap, I have an idea. So this girl really, for whatever reason, really loved ducks. Like, really thought they were great, thought they were cute. Always said she wanted to own ducks. And so I, my 15, 16-year-old brain, thought, light bulb. I have an idea. You love ducks. 
I'm gonna get you ducks and you're gonna like me. So I went on a website um, that I still get emails from to this day, begging me to buy more ducks and I'm not buying any more ducks, that's it. I shipped ducks from Northern California to Virginia Beach in a crate. And come time, you know, come Christmas time, I give her the crate of ducks, baby ducks. Like, I, imagine this, as a parent, like, think about this as a parent. This guy shows up that you have no idea who he is, to your garage, hands you a crate of baby ducks. It was a bad idea. But what, hold on, it was a bad idea, yes. I wasn't thinking why, because I thought I was in love. Now, the parents didn't like it so much that they said, no, you cannot keep the ducks. Alex, you're keeping the ducks. And so I raised baby ducks, uh, you know, for a good part of my freshman year. So I, I was a duck dad. And then I, get, I had to give them away to a farm. Nonetheless, because I, because I was moved with a love, a, a, a feeling, an emotion, what was my first thing? I'm going to give. And I'm going to give something crazy. I'm going to give something radical. I'm going to give something that like seems wild. And it, let's just, it was wild. That was a stupid idea. But why? Because I thought I loved. It's the same thing. When you love God, you'll give what looks like crazy, what looks like radical, what looks like it makes no sense. And people will point at you and say, you're stupid. Why? But it doesn't matter. I love God. And everything that I have is his anyways. Everything. There's no amount of money. I want you to be able to say this today as we wrap up. You don't have to put it in the comments. You can if you'd like to. If you can say it truthfully. But, but take stock of your life. If this is true, I, say it until it's true in your life. There is no amount of money. There is no thing. There is no possession that if God told me to give, I could not give. No amount, no item, no possession. Why? Because I love God more than I love these things. I love God more than I love these things. When you love God, you'll go at crazy, crazy lengths to give. And give financially. Not just give, you know, I give my thoughts. I give my time in prayer. No, no, no. Your time in prayer is not your money. Your time in prayer can't buy you uh, riches in this world. Your time in prayer can't buy you, a, a, you know, renovate your kitchen. Your time in prayer cannot, you know. And it's funny, the people who believe in prosperity actually ex exemplify this the most. People will, will paint prosperity preachers as some, as some like greedy, I just want everything to myself. I, I just want, you know, like if I believe in prosperity, I, I'm going to have the, the best this, the best that. And we believe God gives you the best. But you know what true prosperity is? It's not what can I get. It's what can I give. The most generous people I've ever met are people that believe in biblical prosperity. You, I mean, no employee of this ministry can, can say anything other than the truth. If you get around Pastors Ted and Pastor Carolyn, it, you just are blessed. And I'm not saying this to, to like suck it up. They already like me, I think. And so, but, but if you believe in true prosperity, 
It's not about what, what can I get? What's the new this? What's the new that? What's the new car that I can get? Can I, you know, I'm gonna renovate my kitchen. I'm gonna, those, all, those things are nice. But if you really have a love for God, who can I bless today? Who can I give a gift that makes them their head spin today? What can I drop in the offering that proves that I love God more than I love money? I love God. And there's a tangible proof. Paul said, as he's, give, or he's giving the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, is about Paul preparing the Corinthian church to give an offering. He's taking an offering. And he says to them, I, I'm not doing this to guilt you, but you had already said you're giving the offering. I'm doing this to prove the earnestness or the, the uh, truth or the substance of your love. I'm, I'm, you're giving an offering to prove that you love. You say you love. You say you're going to give an offering. You say you love God. But I'm doing this. I'm taking this offering. When I get to you, we're doing it so that you can prove it. There's a song. I don't have to prove a thing. He's already approved of me. No. I, there are some things you have to prove. Why? Because talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You can say you love God. They say they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Talk is cheap. And if you have hesitancy, when God speaks to you to give, if you're like, I can't let this go, it means too much to me. That's not just about rich people. That's about middle class people. That's about poor people. That's about rich people. That's about ultra rich people. The love of money can infect you at any uh, tax bracket. But if you don't get that under control, if you do, God sees. He says he loves me. And that's why, that's why I ask him to give the big offerings. That's why I ask him. Now, I don't, because number one, I want to bless him. But number two, is the love that he claims to have for me genuine? Is it genuine? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, if anyone's on this broadcast that, have, that has fallen away, that they don't love you like they once loved you. If any one of us has fallen away from our first love, I pray that you'd reignite a fire, a passionate love for you, for your word, for the commands, for your spirit, for your people. Father, I pray that you'd reignite a passionate love for you in our spirits. Father, I thank you that as we do the things you've told us to do, that this year of 2024 will be closer to you. We'll be closer to you than we've ever been before. That we'll see more things in the word that we've ever had before. We'll have a hunger for the word like we've never had before. Father, as we pursue you, I thank you that as we reach out, as we take a step towards you, you always take a step towards us. And Father, today, reignite a fiery, passionate love for every person watching on the live stream or on the replay. Help us to love you more today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.